Content warning, this episode mentions the sensitive topic of suicide. Imagine having a medical condition that puts you in chronic pain. You go from one doctor to another, and none of them seem to be able to effectively diagnose or treat your condition. Eventually, one of the doctors tells you, you'll just learn to live with it. How is that even a... I don't understand. I heard it too. So many of us have heard those words when we're in so much pain and unable to function. And a doctor says you learn to live with it. And there's, there's no life. It's, it's not something that you can learn to live with. Today's guest is Natalia Warren, and she's here to tell us how a painful medical condition changed her life and put her on the path to patient advocacy. Welcome to Kromer Connections podcast series. I'm your host, J.B. Adams. In this series, I'm talking with members of the Kromer community and inviting them to share their accomplishments, challenges, and best business advice. Today's show is brought to you by the Kromer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Consistently ranked as the number one MBA in the state of Florida, the Crummer School offers a variety of educational programs to prepare you to become a global, responsible, and innovative business leader. The Crummer Graduate School of Business, experience excellence. This season of Crummer Connections is devoted to influencers in our community. Today's guest is Natalia Warren. She graduated from the Crummer School with an MBA in 2001 and achieved a master's in health administration from the University of Central Florida in 2011. She's a patient advocate, the chair and co-founder of the Not A Dry Eye Foundation, and along with Dr. Stephen Maskin, she's the co-author of the recently published book, Your Dry Eye Mystery Solved, available from Yale University Press. Natalia Warren, welcome to the show. Thanks, JB. It's absolutely a pleasure to be here today. It is great to have you here with us. Now, I want to let our listeners know that we are going to cover everything that they expect to hear in a Crummer Connections. That means they're going to hear about your background, your career path, um, your best business advice, and your Crummer experience. We never leave that out. But I want to start with the book. So some folks are hearing the name of your book and they're thinking, dry eye doesn't apply to me. Why should I care about this? And if it did apply to me, maybe it's not that big of a deal. So you would argue that it does apply to everyone, and it is a big deal. Tell us why. Well, it's estimated by some experts that about 35% of the population has dry eye. So if you look to your right, you look to your left, one of you is likely to have dry eye. The other thing is that although the term dry eye sounds rather innocuous, the fact is that it can have a significant toll on a person's life specifically because of the symptoms it can cause, the discomfort it can cause in the eyes, and because of all of the other diseases of the surface of the eye that can accompany it. Okay, so uh, you have an excerpt in your book where you describe what the symptoms are and what can go wrong when patients are misdiagnosed. Someone named Melissa, who was a, she was a medical doctor, I believe, and she experienced dry eye can you paraphrase her story for us and, and help us understand what this is really about? Right. Melissa's from the mid-Atlantic states, and uh, she's a doctor of internal medicine. One day she was fine, and the next day she woke up with horrible, horrible eye pain. And she couldn't find anybody to help her. Here she is a medical doctor and unable to find any help for her eye condition. She searched online as much as she could, but her eyes prevented her. When, when eyes are uncomfortable like hers were, like mine were, it stops you cold. So she couldn't really find help. Eventually, uh, she, she quit work. Uh, her partner had to drive her to, also had to stop working to drive her to appointments. 
Eventually, she came across our website, howtodrieye.org, and she found Dr. Maskin. And I actually got to meet her at her first appointment with Dr. Maskin. I arranged to be there at the time because I had spoken to her before uh, her appointment. And I I arranged to have a follow-up appointment with Dr. Maskin. I walked into the room where she was sitting waiting for him. And the first words out of her mouth to me were, not hello, not her name. All she said was, I want to kill myself. Wow. She was in so much pain. She was in agony. She was just in agony. And on her journey, she saw multiple doctors before she met Dr. Maskin. Many. And there's one point in her, in the excerpt of her story where um, one of the doctors says to her these six words, you'll learn to live with it. How is that even a... I don't understand. I heard it too. So many of us have heard those words when we're in so much pain and unable to function. And a doctor says, you learn to live with it. And there's, there's no life. That's, that's not something that you can learn to live with. Chronic pain is one of the leading causes of suicide. I don't know if people are, are aware of that. There's certainly men- mental illness. But chronic pain is one of the leading causes. And eye pain, where the uh, eyes are extremely sensitive, there's, the concentration of nerve endings is extremely high in the eyes. And we have mucosal tissues. It's very tender, exposed tissues. And they're very, very sensitive. So when there's pain there, we know we get an eyelash in the eye. You know what that feels like? Mm-hmm. Imagine if somebody ripped the tissue off your eye, how that would feel. It's, it can be very, very debilitating. So there's dry eye and then there's meibomian gland dysfunction, which is a subset of dry eye. Is that correct? It, essentially, yes. So dry eye is an umbrella term that covers a lot of different diseases. So there's aqueous tear deficiency. Sorry for the long terms. But aqueous is, means water, and mm-hmm. tears, we know what those are, and deficiency is a lack of water in the eyes. Okay, so it's aqueous tear deficiency, and that's caused by a particular gland that makes moisture. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the gland that, that produces moisture when we cry emotional tears or uh, reflexive tears. Once we get something in the eye, that's the, that's the aqueous tear-producing gland. Meibomian glands produce oil, and they're in our eyelids. And we have about 120 in our eyelids, about 25 to 30, 20 to 30 in each lid, and most people have never heard of them. So these uh, little glands, they're very small, can get diseased, and when they do get diseased, it's often chronic, and it causes so, much, so many problems because when we need oil to lubricate our eyes to keep the, to keep the surface of the eye wet, mm-hmm. and when we stop producing this oil or we stop secreting it into the tear film, then we end up with a lot of uh, pain, discomfort, lots of different symptoms, and then other diseases can take hold also. And if, I'm, if I may say, because I did read the book, my understanding is it's not just that this issue affects people and they suffer from it. It's on top of that, that they can often be misdiagnosed. Correct. Correct. There is, it's rampant misdiagnosis or underdiagnosis, mm-hmm. right? So doctors miss it. And mm-hmm. when they miss it, they don't treat it. There's that problem. The other thing that's going on is a lot of times doctors will simply say you have inflammation or some kind of inflammatory condition. So the question then is, sure, you've got inflammation of the eyelids, but what's underlying that inflammation? Unfortunately, the trend is to just treat the inflammation and not the underlying cause. So they're treating the symptom and not the cause. Not the cause. And that's what put you into the business of uh, patient advocacy. That's right. That's right. So I um, suffered, obviously, with, with dry eye for quite a while. Uh, couldn't find any help. I was traveling all over the state of Florida, at least, looking for help. 
and uh, hearing things like you learn to live with it, or at least you don't have cancer is another thing that we hear no. sometimes. Um, and here I was, I actually s lived with my eyes closed for about seven months mm -hmm. uh, all the time. I only opened them to point myself across the room and then I'd keep them closed the rest of the time. Finally came across Dr. Maskin. Um, and the problem is, was, was all the misdiagnosis, underdiagnosis, and the reliance on pharmaceutical industry information and treatments or some medical devices that were available. But they, nothing was comprehensive. There wasn't a, a comprehensive protocol for addressing a patient like myself. And patients are being misdiagnosed because doctors are not necessarily learning about this in medical school. That's right. That's a really interesting thing, right? Historically, or generally speaking, doctors in medical school, if there's not a treatment for something, they can't do something about something, they really don't study this. And so historically, there really hasn't been, haven't been good treatments for especially something like meibomian gland dysfunction. It was misunderstood. And so when it's misunderstood, nobody knows what's going on, so there's not effective treatments. And so there's this void of information for doctors. They skip it. The void was, has been being filled by the pharmaceutical industry and medical devices, mm -hmm. but they're, they're all very focused on one specific aspect of, of the mm -hmm. condition, right? And instead of taking a comprehensive approach. Mm. And without this comprehensive approach, you might get treated for part of what you have, but not for all of what you have. And then your symptoms persist, and you don't know why. Okay, so the message of the book is that there's hope for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely, there is hope. It starts with finding a good doctor. We have information in the book about how to find the doctor. We also have information on our website, notadryeye.org, on how to find a doctor. Uh, so I would encourage anybody who's thinking about looking for a doctor to, to check out these resources. Um, but it starts with finding a good doctor who understands and believes that you have the symptoms that you have and doesn't just brush it off. Excellent. We're going to come back to this topic in a little bit, but right now I want to shift gears and talk about your background. So we do this in every Karma Connections. We talk about your family background, your upbringing, and how that led you to business. But forgive me, but I have to steer you in a specific direction because I would never pass up the opportunity to talk to someone who comes from a, a Ukrainian-American family. Yes, my parents were born in Ukraine, and they came here with their parents as refugees after World War II. Mm -hmm. in the 50s, in the 1950s. So you are all-American-born, but you grew up in a Ukrainian-American household. Yes. In fact, the, many of the, I would say almost all, if not absolutely all, of the displaced persons and the refugees after World War II who came to the United States or wherever in the world they, they moved after World War II raised their children to be Ukrainian in the countries where they were. So... I spoke Ukrainian before I spoke English. I, Ukrainian is my first language. I knew how to read and write in Ukrainian when I was in kindergarten. When I went to first grade or, or even kindergarten, I had to read English and learn those letters. I just thought it was a stupid language. What's the <laughs> point of this? It doesn't make any sense. The, the Ukrainian language, the alphabet is very simple, and every sound has a very specific letter. Unlike in English, you know, the word peace can be P-E-A-C-E, P-I-E-C-E, sure. So in Ukrainian, there's only one way to spell peace. Yes. You know, yeah. What a poignant word that you selected oh, for is. that. It is, isn't it? Maybe it's on my mind. Yeah. <laughs> it should be. It should be all on all of our minds. Um, what does it mean to be Ukrainian? Well, now certainly uh, we see that Ukrainians, you know, we've been struggling for years. And I say we because I feel myself, you know, as a Ukrainian-American, I can certainly relate to what is happening in Ukraine. We have family there and many, many, many connections. 
So, you know, to see what's happening there now is for us a continuation of what's been happening for centuries. Um, Ukrainians were forced into serfdom by the Russians, and, you know, the Soviet Union suppressed the Ukrainian language even before then, the, the, the Tsars, the, the Russian Tsars. So Ukrainians have been struggling for their identity for a long time. Now, Ukraine d- declared its independence in 1917 and 18. Uh, it didn't last for a long time. The communism took over, really. Um, in 1932, Stalin imposed a famine in Ukraine. We call it the Holodomor in the winter of 1932 to 33, where by some estimates, on the low side, three and a half million people died. On the high end, 12 to 16 million people. So a lot of people died. So we've been fighting, struggling with this Russian oppression, aggression, forever. So, you know, this is something that we've been living with for a long time. But also, what's really important to understand is the Ukrainians have an invincible spirit. They're fighting for their country. They're fighting for their lives, their families, their children, their buildings, their land, their country. And they're not going to give up. They're just not going to give up. We see that. They, they were supposed to be crushed by Russia in three days. Yeah, they're fighters. It's going on for, for a long time. They're fighters. There's a fighting spirit, an invincible spirit. It's in our national anthem. I'd say our national anthem. It's in the Ukrainian national anthem. The words are there. Um, and so they're not, they're not going to give up. And what do Americans need to know? What do Americans need to do? Well, know that um, Ukraine, by the way, has had a constitution since, I think it's seven, before the United States had a constitution mm-hmm. and an elected government of a democracy before the United States even dis- existed. So Ukrainians understand the spirit of democracy and understand the benefits of a democracy and an independent nation, mm-hmm. right, where people have freedoms to do whatever it is that they need to do to be happy to live their lives. So these are the Ukrainian people. This is who my, my people are, right? Um, if you want to help, there's, a, there's different ways that you can help. Um, one of the organizations that I've supported that my husband and I have donated to is called Come Back Alive. Uh, Come Back Alive is a terrific organization. It's very credible. There's also... Um, the Ukrainian National Bank, which has been functioning during the war, never stopped. And it is, if you want to donate to the military specifically, they do collect, collect funds for the U- Ukrainian military. Thank you for telling us about what's going on in Ukraine. And it's, it's wonderful to hear it from somebody who's got a closer connection and can really give us some new insight into that. Thank you so much for that opportunity, JB. Really appreciate it. Of course. We're going to move on to our next segment, which is about your professional journey. And I want to let our audience know that we're stepping outside of the interview for just a bit to show a field trip that Natalia and I took to the local supermarket where we examined all of the products that are on the shelf that treat dry eye. This just isn't the solution for your dry eye. The reason we have so many products here on the shelf in this supermarket is because it's a big problem. There wouldn't be this, this, this large of a selection if it was just a little problem. We see one or two boxes of eye drops. Look at all the different kinds of eye drops. Can you even tell which one you should be using? Absolutely not. We call this the Isle of Confusion. You and I have something in common when it comes to our professional journey. We both worked for Disney in the the 1990s. We didn't just, we weren't just there at the same time. We worked in the same place. 
on the same project. On the same projects. So we have uh, we have some history. We have some history. And I can still see your ears. Can you see mine? Uh, oh, yes. Once you wear the ears, you never stop. They never wearing. fall off. They never fall off. They never fall off. So uh, what were some of the lessons that you learned working for a brand name company like Disney? I think we've all seen when we've gone to the theme parks or have any really interaction with Disney, we see the quality of the product and the services that they provide. And we were certainly both part of that, weren't we, JB? Right. We 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 strove to provide high quality product to our guests at all times and go the extra mile. Right. We didn't just do our jobs. We always went the extra mile so that whatever we were providing, whatever we were doing was a very, very high quality product. Yeah, absolutely. A very much guest focused. And a very guest focused product. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So in and it, you know, that that translates into patient advocacy, right? If you if you if you're a provider of healthcare or if you're another patient, you want to help other patients. You want to make sure that they're getting the kind of care that they need and not just any kind of care that they need or that they're getting, right? You want to make sure that it's quality care. Right? I want I want to bring that back to your career. So you left Disney in shortly after 2001. Okay. And you moved into a new career, a healthcare administration. Okay. Tell me about that transition. How did that decision come about? Okay. So I was, I had moved up the ladder in product management, and I was a vice president of global product management with about $200 million worth of product that I was responsible for. When in 2008, we had the financial the great recession meltdown, right? Mm-hmm. And I was looking around for an industry. I wanted to move into an industry that would always have jobs. And so I considered healthcare. And I was thinking about, product management in the healthcare field and decided that I needed to beef up my education, especially when the economy was down. So I went to UCF and I got a master's in health administration there, which is in some ways a lot like a business degree, but it's very specifically focused on health care. And so there was a lot of uh, like grounding and, and familiarization with what happens in the healthcare industry, which is very broad. I mean, it's just so broad. It's, it's, not, it's not narrow. So your original intention in pursuing this degree was to get what kind of job? Probably in a medical device manufacturer, potentially, or a software company that made software mm-hmm. for healthcare somewhere, something like this, yeah. And so here's this moment while you're in school, and this is the compelling part of your story for me. While you're in school, you know, preparing for this career shift, that's when your symptoms start with dry eye. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, the irony of it, right? Here I'm learning about healthcare, and here I need healthcare. Mm-hmm. And not getting it right, right. and um, that was very, very frustrating. And also, when you peel back the onion on an industry, right, you st- you start to see where the flaws are. So Obamacare, for example, was going through the courts at the time, mm-hmm. and the and and through Congress at the time, many different versions of the legislation. I actually read the for school. I read the entire wow. Affordable Care Act, right. And um, back then, I was still reading. It was okay. Um, Maybe it's one of the reasons why it developed dry eye. There's a lot of pages there. But nevertheless, so it was very frustrating to be learning how dysfunctional the industry is and then realizing that one of the reasons why I'm not getting the care I need is because of the dysfunction of the industry. Of the system. And exactly, it's the system, right? We, we may have very good providers. I would argue with anybody that says that we have the best healthcare system in the world that we actually don't. We may have some very, very good providers, some very good technology, some very good, literally providers, doctors who can Mm -hmm. treat us, nurses who can treat us, hospitals who might be good. But as a system, 
we're our broken system. There's, it's not that there's a perfect model out there anywhere, but our system definitely has a lot, a lot to be desired, a lot. I want to just describe some of the evidence that's in your book. Um, not so much about the, the system, but about how prolonged the search for care took, because the word that I wrote when I was reading your story was harrowing. Because it lasted so long. How long did it last between when the f symptoms first started and you found Dr. Maskin? So they started in about October of 2010, mm -hmm. and I didn't see him until September 2nd of 2011. Okay. So almost, almost a full year of debilitating pain and symptoms. Right. Uh, there's a moment in the book where you describe you did not quit school, even though you didn't open your eyes. Describe what you had to do to get through school. It was really difficult, but I had friends who would read my books to me. Um, there was a very good friend who uh, she scribed as I wrote my paper. She was my scribe. I would have to take tests. All of our tests were online, which was good, uh, but I would power through those exams. It was just horrible. I would finish those things feeling like I had just open, raw wounds instead of eyes in my head. Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Really difficult, but but nevertheless, graduated outstanding student of the year that, that in that cohort. Mm -hmm. um, but it was really tough. And so, was graduation before or after you met Dr. Maskin? Right before. Right before I graduated. Oh, graduated, and then you met. And him. then I met him, and then I started to get better. Okay. And it, I mean, I I just I, it was a fluke how I met him. I ran across his website ultimately. Uh, and he's only, he's in Tampa, Florida. He's not that far away. But, you know, search engines, the way they work, what you see, what you get, it just, it's kind of the luck of the draw. And um, I landed on the website of a individual in London, England, who was talking about symptoms that felt just like mine. And I thought, wow, you know, here he is in London, England. How am I ever going to get there? I'm never going to be able to see a doctor in London, England. And I can't even walk across the room. I can't even read this website, right? And um, I, I kept clicking on links, just forcing myself to click on links until suddenly appeared this doctor's, you know, this doctor's information. And I nearly fell off my chair when I saw that it was Dr. Maskin in, in Tampa, Florida, of all places, mm -hmm. just down the road, just right. down I-4 from here, you know. So. And when you first met him, what were the first words you said to him? Dr. Maskin, please take out my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I just needed them out of my head. Yeah. They were horrible. I, I want people to understand how painful it was and how long it lasted, you know, from doctor to doctor to doctor with misdiagnoses and treatment. And you could give up hope. You can give up hope very easily. I mean, there were, I certainly went through that um, right literally the day that I, I came across Dr. Maskin. Um, I was con contemplating suicide. There was no other choice. I, did, I just didn't see any other option mm -hmm. at that point. Because no doctor could help me, you know. So just to bring the story forward a little bit more, you met him, he treated you, you got better, and somehow this became a partnership. Yeah, I, he, I met him, he treated me. It's a chronic condition, so he treats me. Oh, he continues he to treat, treat you. Okay. Treat me. So it's not like I just walked out the door and that was that. <laughs> no, it's a chronic condition and it requires care, both from the patient, I need to take care of my eyes every day, but also doctor's care continuously. And not continuously every day, but periodically I do need to see him and I do need to have my glands worked on periodically. And um, I met in his office other patients who were just like me. The stories are so similar. And we decided that there was a need out there for information for other patients. 
So because we couldn't we couldn't find we didn't know what was happening with ourselves, right? So we organized Not a Dry Eye Foundation, um, and there's a lot of information on the website about dry eye, meibomian gland dysfunction, the other diseases that can occur, and I had written all that content for the website. So when Dr. Maskin was thinking about writing another book, he was looking around and thinking, well, Natalia has this website. She's done all this work. She knows it. She knows the, she knows the disease. She knows the, what's happening, the players, the, the treatments, the things people go through. And so that he, and I do have a writing background also. My undergraduate degree is in English, and I used to be a reporter, actually for the Ukrainian Weekly of all mm-hmm. places, a, an English language paper for the Ukrainian diaspora. So I, I used to write, and I knew about dry eye, and so he asked me to write the book with him. So this makes you uniquely suited to be a patient advocate. Yes. And when you live through something like this um, and you pay attention, you know, the the health, the master's in health administration definitely helps because it grounds you in this world of healthcare. So people sometimes call us and they they don't know what to do about their insurance. They don't know how to find a doctor. There, you know, there's things that we know that we can help them with. Um, But also knowing the disease, having the personal experience with it. Uh, People are, I mean, just last two nights ago, I spoke with a woman from Seattle, uh, same problem, doesn't know, Yeah, she doesn't know what to do, you know, but because I've lived through it, I can really help her. And so all of the, the advocates in our foundation are, are, you know, patients who can help. Yeah. Yeah. Empathy is one of the best treatments, um, in my humble opinion. Uh, all right. We're going to move uh, briefly. And uh, I, I know we don't go in chronological order. We kind of go forward and backwards, but we need to tell your Crummer story. So we're going to start with just understanding where and when were you when you decided, I need to get a business degree. I was actually working at Disney Institute at the time, and I, one of the assistants to one of the program directors, I think, was getting an MBA here. Mm-hmm. And I thought, huh, if she's doing it. Why can't I? And so I decided I would apply. And, you know, it was 1999. I was accepted and graduated in 2001. Well, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to back up. You just did it because someone else was doing it and you thought you should do it? Well, was there was a destination you wanted to get to. No, I wanted to get to. I wanted to advance my career, okay. certainly. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't really sure how to do that. I wasn't sure what steps to take. And so when I, this individual said, oh, she's, she wasn't going to be around on a, you know, whatever day because she was going to be in class. I was like, what class? What are you doing? And she said she's getting an MBA at Crummer. I started to look into it and thought, this is something I should be doing. I should pursue. And what sold you on it? Um, the quality of the program, by far. Mm-hmm. It was the quality of the program. I wanted to get an MBA at a school with a very good reputation. That was important to me. All right. Now, Natalie Warren, it's time to play Crummer Insider Free Association, the game where there are no right answers, no wrong answers, no winners, no losers, and there are no prizes. Okay. I borrowed that from a different podcast. <laughs> okay. All right. So, Natalia Warren, are you ready to play? I'm ready. For each one of these prompts, I'm going to ask you to say the first thing that pops into your head. The first one is I started my MBA in the year 1999. Oh, 99. Okay. And I graduated in the year 2001. The cohort name and number was We were EMBA 18. Oh, excellent. Uh, my cohort was known for being tough. Tough. <laughs> okay. Tough in what regard? 
every. <laughs> okay. Uh, my favorite class was? That's a hard one. But culminating the program was Dr. Serto's management strategy class. Mm-hmm. That was very interesting. I don't know if I can say favorite, but I'll definitely say interesting. <laughs> well, Dr. Serto was tough. Yeah. I mean, we were tough. He was tough. A very enjoyable, but you had to be prepared. You could not walk into that room unprepared because you would just be strung up. Many of us have memories of that. Okay, I'm going to go to the next one. My favorite professor was... Hmm. So a favorite professor is like a favorite child? You yes. can't really pick one, okay. right? Um, certainly there were memorable ones. I know Dr. Curry we had for economics as a cohort, but we all had him. And when we had to pick an elective, we picked Dr. Curry's class. It didn't matter what he was teaching because we knew it would be a great class. Um, all right. Final question regarding your, your Crummer experience. Uh, what was the impact? What did you achieve after your MBA was done? My career really took off very quickly after the MBA. So within a short time, um, I, was, I w moved up the ladder very quickly to director of product management and then vice president, vice president of global product management in the different companies that I was in. It's very interesting. Excellent. So thank you for sharing about your Crummer experience. There's lots of people out there listening who are thinking about get, getting a Crummer degree, and this is very helpful to all of them. Our final segment is just this one your best career and business advice. So you work in patient advocacy. You're uh, the leader of a foundation, which is a nonprofit. What kind of advice do you have for leaders of nonprofits in particular or patient advocates? Well, nonprofits, um, I'm the chair of Not A Dry Eye. I think it's very important to have a board that's motivated. Um, an unmotivated board member is just dead weight. So make sure that your board members are passionate about whatever it is that you need to do or whatever your cause is if you're a nonprofit. The other thing, too, and we, uh, I want to mention this, if you're a nonprofit, you should be uh, getting a Google ad grant. That's okay. super important. And register with AmazonSmile.com because you will be getting enormous support from Google ads in their, in their grant program. There's a $10,000 a month Mm -hmm. you know, grant that you can, you can get. And with Amazon Smile, smile.amazon.com, if you register with them, Amazon uh, donates 0.05% of the purchases of anybody who applies their purchase to your, to your nonprofit, just as what they do. So you register with smile.amazon.com and tell all your friends and anybody who knows your foundation and put the banner ads up and and promote that because you'll just be getting money from Am from Amazon. Excellent advice. Thanks so much for sharing that. So, Natalia Warren, we're about to wrap up our time together. And I just want to ask, given all the experiences that you've had, and we've covered many of them in this short time that we've been together, what message would you like to share with the Crummer community today? Well, a couple things, actually. Um, your career can take many different turns along the way. It's important to be adaptable mm -hmm. when things don't go exactly as you planned. And so one of the ways to allow yourself or help yourself be adaptable is to make sure that you have a very good education. So Crummer MBAs, for example, is fantastic because it, it gives you all sorts of insights into different aspects of business that you might not otherwise have and that might not prepare you if you didn't have this MBA, right? So, But the journey continues for you. 
Oh, yeah. That's right. so, so how many degrees do you have now? Well, two master's degrees. Okay. And I'm going to, I just enrolled in the, in UCF in the PhD program in modeling simulation and training with the, with the goal of, of developing training for doctors in the space of dry eye. All right. So you are a patient advocate through and through, and the journey never ends. Never ends. Natalia Warren, thank you for joining us on Crummer Connections and sharing your story. JB, thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's really been nice to see you again, too. Likewise. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Now is a great time to consider enhancing your career success by pursuing an advanced degree in business. And the Crummer School offers a variety of educational programs to help you become a global, innovative, responsible business leader. To learn more about the programs and begin the application process, go to crummer.rollins.edu. The Crummer Graduate School of Business, experience excellence. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. Crummer Connections podcast series is a production of Victor Media Group. If you like this show, follow us on your favorite social media platform. Today's show was created and hosted by J.B. Adams and executive produced by Gerard Mitchell. Recording took place at the studios of WPRK on the Rollins College campus with technical and production design by Angel Cologne and technical and production assistance from How Do. Final video and audio editing by Anna Hughes. Our gratitude goes out to Mike Brown and Loveland Finley in Alumni Relations for their gracious help and support. Until next time, Fiat Lux.